This is Africa Digest. Seventeen hundred hours Central African time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we give you news from an African perspective. Hello, welcome to the program. My name is Spumelele Zondi. We are broadcasting to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. You can find us on nine six two five kilohertz. That's on the thirty one meter band if you're in Southern Africa. You can also stream us on channelafrica.co.za. I'm with Atwala Netulo, Wisane Matebula, and Musibudi Makura. Your top stories. Sierra Leone cancelled plans to build a controversial airport outside the capital of Freetown funded by Chinese loans. Today marks International Day of the Girl Child. In economic news, the foreign holdings of Egyptian treasuries stood at 14 billion US dollars at the end of September. And in sports, South Africa's Kevin Anderson reaches the quarterfinals of the Shanghai Masters. Jola Netulo has your news. Thank you, Spumalele. Good afternoon. Three Malian soldiers have been killed in a restive central region overnight when their vehicle hit a landmine. Military sources say the blast happened near the frontier with Burkina Faso. Mali has been plagued by violence since 2012 when Tuareg separatists staged an uprising in the north which was then exploited by jihadists to take over key cities in the region. The militants were largely driven out in a French-led military operation in 2013, despite a 2015 peace agreement between the government pro-government groups and former rebels large stretches of Mali remain out of control. Sierra Leone has cancelled plans to build a controversial 318 million US dollars airport outside the capital Freetown with a Chinese company and funded by Chinese loans. The mega project which was due to be completed in 2020 was commissioned by the previous president Ernest Bai Koroma in March this year. Its cancellation comes amid cooling enthusiasm in both Pakistan and Malaysia for Chinese loans backing large-scale infrastructure projects in recent months. But Sierra Leone's decision is the first time an African government has cancelled any already announced major Chinese-backed deal. Sierra Leonean journalist Elias Bangura has more. The president, that is our, our current president, during uh, his campaign, he said it clearly. And he told the nation that uh, once he is elected president, he was going to cancel that project. I, because it is not viable. That, those were his exact words. It is not viable. To begin with, the background to that is that uh, the World Bank and uh, other donors had uh, advice against the construction of that particular airport in the sense that uh, there was no point in building another airport when the one that we had had less than 150,000 passengers per year. So why build another airport? Besides, the cost itself, I mean, it's borrowed money and it's something that we are going to pay back. So he said he's going to cancel it. Now that he's president, I think he has put uh, uh, his work into action. So yesterday it was announced formally that uh, now that we now have a cancellation of that particular project, which is the Mamama Airport, just outside Freetown. An Egyptian military court has sentenced 17 people to death over a series of attacks on churches that left dozens dead. Another 19 people were handed life prison terms, while 10 have been sentenced to between 10 and 15 years in connection with the attacks in 2016 and 2017 in Cairo, Alexandria and Tanta.
The Democratic Republic of Congo's Ebola outbreak is expected to last another three to four months and could spread at any time to Uganda and Rwanda. That's according to the World Health Organization. Emergency Response Chief Peter Salama says the most concerning area is the city of Beni in Congo's North Kivu province. Salama says dozens of people who may have been exposed to the disease are hiding from health workers. And finally, the death toll in the wake from flash floods that tore the Spanish islands of Moroja have, have risen to 12. Rescue workers have found two bodies on Thursday, which are believed to be a German couple. Rescue workers are still searching for a five-year-old boy missing after the intense rains. A massive cleanup is underway in the mud-covered streets of St. Lorenz, one of the worst-hit towns, with evacuation excavation rather machines clearing streets of debris. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. Thank you very much, Olane. It is 1705 Central African Time right here in Africa Digest. Let us start in Sierra Leone now, a country that has cancelled plans to build a controversial 318 million US dollar airport outside the capital, Freetown, with a Chinese company and funded by Chinese loans. The mega project, which was due to be completed in 2022, was commissioned by the previous president, Ernest Abayakoroma, in March of this year. Its cancellation comes amid a cooling enthusiasm in both Pakistan and Malaysia for Chinese loans are backing large-scale infrastructure projects in recent months. But Sierra Leone's decision is the first time an African government has cancelled an already announced major China-backed deal. Sierra Leonean journalist Elias Bangura has more. The president, that is our, our current president, during uh, his campaign, he said it clearly. And he told the nation that uh, once he is elected president, he was going to cancel that project. I.e. because it is not viable. That, those were his exact words, that it is not viable. To begin with, the background to that is that uh, the World Bank and uh, other donors had uh, advice against the construction of that particular airport in the sense that uh, there was no point in building another airport when the one that we had had less than 150,000 passengers per year. So why build another airport? Besides, the cost itself, I mean, it's borrowed money and it's something that we are going to pay back. So he said he's going to cancel it. Now that he's president, I think he has put uh, uh, his work into action. So yesterday it was announced formally that uh, now that we now have a cancellation of that particular project, which is the Mamama Airport. What is the condition of the existing airport which is now going to be renovated, Mr. Bangura? The condition of this uh, airport, well, like any other international airport, I mean, it's our own, uh, our main airport here. It's the one that uh, we've been using since the 70s. Year in, year out, renovations, extensions have been made onto it. We understand that uh, more... Uh, runways are going to be, are going to be constructed, so at least it can accommodate uh, whatever passenger inflow will come in uh, or will leave. So that is it. Now this is the first time that an African government has cancelled an already announced major China-backed deal. What is the feeling amongst Sierra Leoneans with regards to the cancellation of the deal? Is this move considered progressive by members of the public? Depends who you talk to, actually, in terms of 
those who are for or against, actually. Let me talk about those who are against. They are saying, to begin with, World Bank has, I mean, initially when the previous government uh, uh, decided to, to construct this airport, the World Bank advised against it. They said, no, I mean, that's not viable. There's no sense in going ahead with such a project. It's not cost-effective and a lot of other things. But then the, the, those who were for us, us was the government was that uh, the town needs to be decongested. We need a new capital. So, uh, so we need a new airport. And just outside Freetown, uh, it has a very good scenery and so on and so forth in terms of the land structure itself. So that what's wrong if we have international, Lunga International Airport can remain, but then with this new airport that we'll have, I mean, a lot of business will come in, I mean, the challenges that Lunga International Airport has will be resolved with this new airport at Mamama. So many people were in for it. Construction work had gone on ahead. And, I mean, the papers signed in terms of the contract. They have been laid before Parliament, and Parliament approved it, and all of this. And now, those who are, for, are against are saying, look, everything about this, I mean, it's not, uh, it's not economically prudent. So let's cancel it. Besides, their strong argument is that... Uh, the president, while he was in opposition, or one of those who was vying for the presidency, have said it times without number that once he gets into state house, he's going to cancel it. Now, do we know if there are financial penalties associated with the cancellation of the deal? What I heard from the finance minister was that uh, in terms of those that have legitimate claims, including the workers and so on and so forth, and many other things, including contractors, and many other things is that uh, once your claim is legitimate, you'll be compensated. That's what I heard. Even so, they are saying that much as they are not cancelling it 100%, but then they are putting it off until a further date. So for now, uh, basic staff, security will be there. They will be deployed around the, this airport itself that has been cancelled. In terms of financial, uh, 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 who have made financial input, I'm sure they will be compensated. Now, that trap diplomacy on the part of China is what is being talked about on the continent with many feeling that China wants uh, to trap African countries with the loans, expecting something bigger in return. How is China's foray into the continent being interpreted in Sierra Leone, Mr. Bangura? I mean, like South Africa... Uh, you know that uh, just all over across the continent, China has made a huge and significant uh, impact. So for us in Sierra Leone, I was at the, Chinese, the National Chinese uh, New Year. They invited me there at Bintimani. What I heard the ambassador saying was that uh, Sierra Leone, people are saying Sierra Leone is now a colony of China. But what people should understand is that Sierra Leone has always stood by China. Mind you, it was Sierra Leone's crucial vote that brought the uh, Chinese into the United Nations in the 60s. So going forward, China has always been there for Sierra Leone, and Sierra Leone equally has been there for China. That is Elias Abangura, who is a journalist in Sierra Leone there in conversation with Kumbero Munjarere. Elias is in the capital's free town. 
The world will mark World Standards Day this coming Sunday on the 14th of October. Every year on the day, members of the International Electrotechnical Commission, International Standards Organization, and the International Telecommunications Union celebrate this day. In doing so, they are paying tribute to the collaborative efforts of the thousands of experts worldwide who develop the voluntary technical specifications, regulations, and standards that are published as International Standards, or ISO. From the 19th to the 23rd of next month, Chief Air to Blackstone Consulting, Dolani Mpashwa, Quality Manager Expert, will represent South Africa at the ISO World Congress in Portugal. Mpashwa explains. It's a management consulting firm. It specializes on business management systems which enable organizations to fulfill their mandate and their objectives in servicing the consumers in terms of the product or service they're offering. You will be part of a group of people that will be participating at the upcoming uh, ISO World Conference. Tell us about the significance of you being part of this conference. Okay, well, the significance of this is that the conference itself requires experts from each country to come and table new work items in terms of standards, to come and give views and suggestions and opinions in terms of that specific standard that needs to be published at a later stage. So basically it's it's significant in that uh, I will be carrying a mandate for the country in terms of setting standards as to say how those standards will enable South African environment because the environments are different from country to country. So it's a very relative that the country has got a voice and a voice from an expert in the field that is able to the activities that would be required in terms of the standards. And tell us about the importance of uh, standards and what explain to a layman, a person on the street, what standards do in a day-to-day um, instance. Okay, I would simplify it and say a standard is a document that uh, is published so as to ensure that the organizations that are making products and services for you and I, laymen, uh, the society, the consumers, do not end up receiving harm from that product or service. So from when we wake up, from the watch, the alarm clock, it has to meet a certain standard. The microwave that we use, there is a certain standard. The radio in terms of the frequency that it's able to receive frequencies, there is a certain standard and the emissions on the car and so forth. So everything in our day-to-day activity, we are in touch with standards that we use. And those are the standards that safeguard us as citizens and consumers to be free from harm. For instance, a pill chart uh, needs to have a certain level of lead and if that is not guided by the standard, we could have a catastrophic situation in terms of, of the hazard nature of lead. So these are some of the things that uh, standards are helping us as citizens to stay free from harm and the organizations to be responsible when they disperse their products and services to us as consumers, as part of the society. Now let's go back to your company, ISO 37001. In terms of tackling um, corruption, mm-hmm. you say your company is one of those effective companies that would help mitigate uh, such instances. 
Yes. So ISO 37001 is a anti-bribery management system. So it's a standard that talks to organization applying uh, principles of ethical behavior, starting from the leadership, of course, uh, that will lead the organization in promoting the unethical behaviors starting with the policy and starting with the processes, being mapped correctly, and obviously ensuring that they create an environment for the employees who will implement these policies and processes to effect them in a way that it doesn't result in corruption or temptation thereof. So it is a standard that promotes organization to reject and rebuff any opportunity for their own employees, but also when the organizations engage with other stakeholders and other businesses to carry this thought through so that we have less and less of this uh, sketch called corruption and bribery. And tell us about your presentation at the upcoming uh, Congress that's taking place next month. The presentation will focus more on change, organizational change management as well uh, because organizational change management is also one of the important aspects when it comes to implementing business management systems because by their nature, business management systems, uh, when they are implemented, a decision is taken by the head of the accounting office of the organization that there should be a program uh, instituted in terms of quality, in terms of business management systems, and therefore it always requires a level of change management in terms of moving the organization with cohesion, understanding what are we encountering as a challenge now and why are we instituting this change and where we want to get to and the timelines thereof. So it is a very important component in terms of getting the business management system transition to be effective. So we will be tabling the organizational change management standard to be adopted possibly as a standard because there isn't a standard at this current moment globally. So each company has their own view and their own approach in terms of implementing change whenever they institute this program. So we want to have a uniform document that can be used and adopted at a global level so that it becomes a benchmark globally when it comes to organizational change management. That's Dolan Mpatla, CEO of Blackstone Consulting, on the line with Atuto Ngobeni. Remembering Mama Albertina Sisulu. We will say whatever we are expected to say by the people, and we are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the people. We are aligning ourselves with the struggle for the liberation of the oppressed people of this country. Channel Africa. It's 17.18 Central African time. Now, South Africa's Minister of International Relations and Cooperation, Lindy Wesisulu, hosted a workshop last week aimed at reviewing uh, South Africa's foreign policy. The purpose of the workshop was to engage non-governmental stakeholders as part of a border and phased consultation effort in the process of reviewing South Africa's foreign policy. Earlier this year, a review panel to steer a new direction for the country's foreign policy was appointed by Minister Sisulu, who has made it clear that 
that she wants to overhaul South Africa's foreign policy position in the continent. To help us get an idea of what was discussed, we have Aziz Bahad, who is the chairperson of the Ministerial Review Panel in the Department of International Relations and Cooperation, and Gwezi Mkribisa, who is the regional manager of operations at the Center for the Constructive Resolution of Disputes, or a court they spoke to, Benjamin Mashadam. Many countries are reviewing foreign policy given the global political and economic realities which are fundamentally different uh, from 15, 20 years ago. We are facing a world that is totally in disunited. The rules-based systems that have been created since the Second World War are being challenged and in fact fundamentally challenged. Terrorism and extremism is now rampant. We can see the drums of war are banging very much louder against Venezuela, against um, Syria, against Iran. So we're living in a very unstable economic. In fact, the World Bank and IMF have in their report indicated that globalization and neoliberalism is at a crisis point and inequality is growing between countries and within countries. Climate change and demographical factors, all these factors are threatening the stability, both of the economic system and the political system internationally. And so, like many countries, we are reviewing our foreign policy to see whether it is still in line with the new global political and economic realities. Well, let me move to you, Kwezi, in terms of your thoughts around the timing of this revision of uh, South Africa's foreign policy. And I think Mr. Pahad is correct, saying that... uh, uh, the global economy has changed so much, even on a political sphere, and uh, things are not what they used to be, if just even in the space of the last uh, uh, two years. I think uh, what Mr. Pahad has said is definitely most true and found expression in the discussions in the workshop and other conversations that have taken place prior to the workshop. But I think that uh, whilst the emphasis is on what has changed in the world out there, some of the focus has to take place and uh, put emphasis on how we as a country, South Africa, have changed. I mean, we're definitely not the same South Africa that we were uh, post-1994. And indeed, the work that uh, the country has done, very commendable in terms of peace and security, in terms of advancing the African agenda, in terms of pursuing and opening up avenues for the attainment of the objectives of the Global South agenda. Um, We are not the same country. Uh, We do not have the same level of, uh, one would even say, goodwill as we used to enjoy. We do not have the same resources that we used to be in a position to put into the service of these objectives or this cause, as it were. So I think that uh, the, the, the review is coming at the right place in order for us to assess what is the environment like out there 
and perhaps more importantly, what uh, mechanisms and, of course, attributes do we possess at this point in time in order to make an impact in the environment that we find out there? Uh, the change, for example, uh, almost a decade ago of uh, just the name of the department from just simply being foreign affairs to being a department responsible for international relations and cooperation, I think put emphasis on the fact that there needed to be a far more nuanced way in which we pursue our diplomacy vis-à-vis our bilateral interactions with sister countries of the world, as well as the role that we play in multilateral fora mm. uh, that we actually participate or that we are actually signatories in terms of protocols and such like. So I think that the time is appropriate for us to actually take a step back, review uh, what we have to go and make an impact on, at the same time assess whether where do we need to put emphasis in terms of what do we do, how do we do it, who do we do it with, and perhaps more importantly, how do we ensure that with the limited resources that we have, we're in a position to sustain and see agency in some of either the countries that we're working with or the institutions that we're parties and members to. That's Gwezi Mkabisa, who's the General Manager of Operations at the Center for the Constructive Resolution of Disputes. You also heard from Aziz Bahad, the chairperson of the Ministerial Review Panel in the Department of International Relations and Cooperation. They were speaking to my colleague Benjamin Moshadama earlier today. Your time is 1724 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. Now, next to the Indonesian city of Palu, where nearly two weeks after that devastating earthquake and tsunami there, major search and rescue operations are ceasing as from today. More than 2,000 people died and around 5,000 are still missing. The government says it's imposed the deadline to stop disease spreading and because it's increasingly difficult to identify bodies. The BBC's Howard Johnson reports from Balaroa, one of the worst hit districts of Palu on the island of Sulawesi. Hasmina and Ramli have been searching for their son Aldi now for nearly two weeks. The last they heard was that he was heading out on a fishing trip with a close friend. That was on the afternoon of September 28th, the day a devastating earthquake turned their lives upside down. With the parents of Aldi at their family home, they described how it moved around 80 metres downhill when the earthquake struck. It's now lying in bits all over the ground here. You can see bits of corrugated iron ripped off. There's a chair, an armchair that's been torn to shreds. And they describe how a football pitch behind them was turned 360 degrees and ripped into two bits as the earthquake struck. That was his uh, football shoes. Aldi's football Yeah, Aldi's football A pair of Aldi's neon-coloured football boots stand out against the rubble, a stark reminder of one of thousands of people who are still missing here. But the government of Indonesia says it will end major search and rescue operations today and declare devastated areas mass graves. <laughs> a policy that offers little comfort to Hasmina. I hope the search can be extended, but if the government stop, I can't force them. But I believe my son is still alive. Elsewhere in Balaroa, the looming deadline has galvanized teams into action. 
A mechanical digger claws through the mud to reveal the body of a young man. The search and rescue team put the remains into a body bag. After a brief inspection, a relative confirms that it's his cousin. Five family members were missing, my mom, my dad and grandmother. We just found my auntie and cousin. I recognize him by his clothes and his haircut. After a long day of searching for victims from this earthquake, 13 bodies have been laid down here on the floor. A local imam has just delivered a sermon and people are chanting as the bodies are put in this ambulance to be taken away. Today, the government will switch its focus from search and rescue to rebuilding Palu. But with thousands still buried in the rubble, some here are questioning whether it's the right decision. If you're interested in a real-life story of friendship, then join Channel Africa for a book reading of 65 Years of Friendship, written by George Bezos about his relationship with African icon Nelson Mandela. From Monday to Thursday at 2200 Central African Time and during the weekend on Saturday and Sunday at 800 hours Central African Time. Join us for 65 Years of Friendship, a real-life drama. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. I'm an actress. I'm a motivational speaker. Born with albinism. Um... The nurse first asked my mother, is your husband white? My mother said, no, why are you asking me that question? When I grew up, there was no publication of person with albinism disappearing, mm. being stolen. You see, it was happening, but there was no exposure as it happening now. Hi, I'm Pule Mulebati, the presenter of the Albinism Report, a program that demystifies myths and mysticism on albinism highlighting challenges and achievements of people with albinism. Tune into the Albinism Report on the following times, Monday 5 past 9 in the morning to quarter to 10 Central African time, and from 5 past 10 to quarter to 11 Central African time, Tuesday at 5 past 2 in the morning to quarter to 3 Central African time. The Albinism Report, an enlightened narrative with me, Pule Mulebati, on Channel Africa from an African perspective. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. 
It is 17.30 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest. Here's Chola Netulo with your news headlines. Thank you, Spumalele. Making headlines, three Malian soldiers have been killed in a rest of central region overnight when their vehicle hit a landmine. The Democratic Republic of Congo's Ebola outbreak is expected to last another three to four months and could spread at any time to Uganda or Rwanda. And finally, an Egyptian military court has sentenced 17 people to death over a series of attacks on churches that left dozens dead. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tulo. It is 1731 Central African Time right here on Africa Digest. Remember that if you want to be a part of the conversation here, you can tweet us on Channel Africa 1. You can also send us emails. We are on info at channelafrica.co.za. That is info at channelafrica.co.za. WhatsApp us as well. Plus 2776-300-3327. That is a plus 2776 3327. My name is Spumelele Zondi with you until 1800 hours Central African time. Now, the Congress of South African Trade Unions says it notes with utter repulsion reports detailing the vulgar corruption that took place at a VBS Mutual Bank. Now, joining me on the line is a Kosato spokesperson, Sizwe Pamla. Hello, and thank you very much for joining me, Mr. Pamla. Uh, evening to you and the listeners. Now, you said there's a difference in the way that um, a certain media house reported on this particular corruption to other corruption. Tell us about that. Indeed. Look, um, we've been dealing with these uh, matters of corruption for some time now as a country. And uh, it's disturbing when you realize that uh, while some people are hysterical, uh, rightly so, when uh, other stories of corruption emerge, uh, they tend to be less uh, angry and hysterical when it comes to others. And uh, we as, as well concluded that uh, there's a difference in the way this country treats uh, uh, the private sector and public sector corruption, for example. We think people are more angry when it comes to public sector corruption, rightly so. We all have to be angry uh, when our public representatives are, are stealing from us. But at the same time, we have to be angry uh, 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 with those who are actually uh, destroying our economy to corruption, uh, but also even with the private sector. Uh, you, when you look at uh, the coverage of uh, 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 companies that are being recruited by mostly uh, uh, white executives, mm. uh, uh, you, you realize that uh, some uh, in the media are not as angry uh, as they are. Um, which media houses are those? Your statement says some in the media. Do you also say some in the media right now? Which which are they? Look, uh, uh, we are not really going to uh, single out individuals, but it's a challenge to each and every person who covers this corruption to see and uh, do an introspection on themselves to see how they've covered uh, white uh, uh, corruption vis-a-vis uh, 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 corruption, uh, uh, as, 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 as we see it. Uh, you yourself, you have to ask yourself in terms of how you've covered stories where white executives uh, have, have stolen and looted and say, 
uh, how is it different to the, any other way? Uh, if you find something wrong, then it's about you reflecting to say maybe there is a little bit of a prejudice in, in, in the angle and the newsroom culture when it comes to how we deal with corruption in this country. So it's a challenge uh, at each and every media house and each and every journalist to say uh, these newsroom cultures are not really helping South Africans to fight corruption. Because, for an example, staying off decimated workers' retirement savings. And you should have listened to the semantics and, and mm. people playing around with languages uh, and not necessarily coming out and openly calling this corruption, but just mm. trying to explain it away. Even the people that they bring as analysts, people who try and they, they come and explain away the nonsense that was done by Stenoff and other uh, mostly white-run uh, companies. But uh, also when you look at these companies like VPS, they are as corrupt as hell and they are criminals. They all belong to jail. But it can't be that we say uh, we are going to treat corruption and defeat it if we, if, if, if we start to nitpick. Uh, uh, white criminals should be treated as black criminals. A government uh, uh, looters should be treated the same way as, as private sector looters. Mm. Um, you say they should all go to jail um, uh, when uh, dealing with the VBS case. Um, are you happy with the findings and the way the, inv- the investigation was done? Does that mean that? No, what we're saying, we've actually said is that now that we have this report, of course, this still has to go to uh, 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 law enforcement agencies. So, but already if you read the report, it, it has recommendations it's about that they, they should be prosecuting. So now we say law enforcement agents should start doing their work by sending people to prison. But at the same time, we are not really happy with the fact that the Reserve Bank all of a sudden is coming out with this report. The question is, what were they doing all along? Because the Reserve Bank is the regulator of the, this kind of financial institutions. It can't be that the Reserve Bank, this is the second time we have a bank collapsing uh, and, and people's lives are destroyed. When African Bank was bailed out by the Reserve Bank, so many people who were uh, lent money by the bank are still blacklisted today. Yet the, mm. the executives of the bank were bailed out. They've moved on with their lives. But the people they recklessly lent money uh, are blacklisted. They are isolated from participating meaningfully in mainstream economy, in the economy overall. So the point we're making here is that we have a reserve bank also that uh, sooner or later we need a discussion about its role, about its failures, about whether uh, we actually give too much credit and we treat that uh, reserve bank with exaggerated respect. Because Mm. right now this country does feel like sometimes we're an unregulated casino. When you look at the nonsense that happens uh, left, right and center with regulators in place, look at the cartel behavior, the collusion. We have reports that came out specifically saying here's evidence that these people were actually colluding. Yet, and, and we went on to strengthen the, the, the Competition Act to say it needs to criminalize this behavior. Yet today you are still getting reports coming out of the Competition Commission and no one mm. is being sent to Mr. Pamela, on VBS, um, in the past, Mr. Lisitra Kanyako was asked actually on what they did when they found out about corruption at VBS and his response in the past was that they gave warnings to the bank itself but the bank continued to give out loans. That's where the problem is. Then it means we, we are also guilty of pandering to mediocrity because it can't be that you allow a, a, a bank to ignore all the laws. If you send a, a, a message 
that says you are violating the law or what you are doing is unethical, then you, 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 you have a tool at your disposal to hold uh, those executives accountable. We are happy with the fact that they've come out with this report, but we don't want them to start to prance around and pretend as if uh, they don't have debt on their hands. They also have to do an introspection to say, is this the best that they can do for a developing economy to have two emerging financial institutions collapse in the manner that both African Bank and VPS have collapsed? It means that someone is not doing his or her job somewhere. And if we are to transform the financial sector, transform this economy, and are able to really rid ourselves of corruption, we need to start demanding more from those who are interested with the responsibility of policing uh, 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 both those who are in government but also those in private sector. All right. Thank you very much for joining us. That's Mr. Sizwe Pamla there, who is the spokesperson at COSATU. Your time is 17.39 Central African time. Now, International Anti-Poaching Foundation, or IAPF, is a young conservation organization aimed at empowering young females to make an impact in the wildlife industry in Zimbabwe. As such, the organization has employed at least 16 young women to work as wildlife rangers and help reduce cases of poaching. A visit to the Lower Zambezi coincides with the International Day of the Girl Child, which is commemorated each year on the 11th of October. Here's Simon Machemwa. 11th of October is the International Day of the Girl Child, which is celebrated annually to highlight issues of gender equality and challenges facing young girls. The theme this year, with her a skilled girl force, seeks to draw attention to the need for girls to be adequately equipped with training and skills suitable to today's rapidly changing job market. For more on this topic, Channel Africa visited Lower Zambezi, a place that borders with Zambia and rich with wildlife where a group of young women are making headlines working as wildlife rangers. Sixteen ladies whose ages vary from 19 to 33 are employed by International Anti-Poaching Foundation, IAPF, and have so far made more than 70 arrests for various wildlife offences as from 2017. Ex-Australian Special Operations Military Sniper Damien Manders founded IAPF to help conserve wildlife and empower young Zimbabwean women with anti-poaching skills. This is the sound of nature, the sound of footsteps and birds in a wildlife sanctuary near Kariba where Channel Africa accompanied IAPF rangers on their morning patrol. The ladies are fit and highly skilled when it comes to weapon handling. They are also very good when trekking spoor, a skill required to track down poachers. Margaret Darawanda, a 20-year-old team member, at IAPF had this to say. I'm a fanatic of animals, so I do not care animals to be killed. I try, we try by all means so that uh, we can get the poachers, arrest them and uh, caution them in the bush so that they cannot kill the animals. We did many arrests. So far we had, uh, we have 72 arrests differently, like uh, arresting uh, those who distract uh, the habitat, the trees, and those who kill uh, small game like antelopes, aliens, that is aliens, 
kudus sort of and also the big game we have arrested many poachers from around the area we haven't encountered any armed poachers yet margaret added her job is tough especially for women but with the right support and training she's now a ranger earlier before we were afraid we didn't know how to get into the bush in the training we were trained many things so that we can get used <laughs> into the bush uh, as for now uh, some people don't understand why we are here as women but as for us we now understand how it is in the bush we try by all, by all means so that we can be like the men so that we can do the job with all our efforts it's not easy but it is easy because it's only your commitment into the bush so that you can uh, get through it abigail chandagaita is the youngest team member aged 19 and her challenges bleeding with other older ladies but all that is gone now as she is one of the best rangers i lacked confidence after noting that I was the youngest in the group, but now I feel like we are all equal. The same goes with men. I now believe in myself and don't feel intimidated when working with men. Wadzanai Munemo is one of the best trackers, a skill highly recommended when following animals or poachers. This is helping us a lot. We were taught how to track animals, including poachers, to avoid getting attacked by dangerous animals and even poachers. I know donors could be emulating our great work. Poaching is rampant in Zimbabwe such that the country lost 40% of its elephants from 2015. More animals are being sold to China and some African countries, leaving the wildlife sector looking bad. For Channel Africa in Lower Zambezi, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. 1744 Central African Time is still listening to Africa Digest on Channel Africa as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. It is info at channelafrica.co.za. That's info at channelafrica.co.za. You can also send your tweets to Channel Africa rather to Channel Africa 1. It is Channel Africa 1 on Twitter. Or you can send your WhatsApp messages plus Thanks, as Pumelele, South African Financial Services Group Sunlam has met conditions for acquisition of Moroccan-based Saham Finances, turning Sunlam into a leading Pan-African Financial Services Group. This will pave the way for growth on the continent. Sunlam and Santam fulfilled all conditions. President 
for the acquisition of a remaining 53.4% of Morocco-based Saham finances. The confluence of the combined footprint and respective expertise of Sanlam, Santam and Saham finances provides the Sanlam Group with an opportunity to grow its life insurance businesses in francophone markets. And U.S. stock markets have continued to fall after sharp losses in the U.S. Main European industries are also down by about a 1.5%. Leading Asian markets fell more by 3%. The BBC's Andrew Walker reports. The falls began with the United States. Investors were responding to a period of mounting warnings about the potential economic problems posed by trade conflict and rising interest rates in the U.S. Neither concern is new, but hitherto share prices, after a long period of strength, have been relatively untouched. Interest rate rises tend to make other types of assets more profitable so they can encourage investors to sell shares. Higher rates also make it more expensive for businesses to borrow money to invest. There is, in addition, a risk that trade conflict will ultimately hit the profits of many companies. In statistics, South Africa's new data indicates that manufacturing output increased by 1.3% year-on-year in August with their food and beverages as the largest positive contributors. After a revised 2.8% growth in July, factory production on a month-on-month basis rose by 0.1% in August. In the three months to August, it improved by 1.9% as opposed to the previous three months. And Africa's youngest billionaire has been kidnapped by gunmen from a gym in Tanzania's economic capital, Dar es Salaam. Mohamed Deuji, who is 43, heads uh, the METL Group. It operates in 10 countries with interests in agriculture to insurance, transport, logistics and the food industry. Deuji was snatched as he entered the gym of a hotel in the city. Authorities say the abductors were white men traveling in two vehicles and the motive could be a ransom demand. And foreign holdings of uh, Egyptian treasuries uh, stood at 14 billion US dollars at the end of September. This a decline of nearly 20% from the end of June. Holdings stood at 17.5 billion dollars at the end of June. Appetite for emerging market debt has already weakened when it declined further following currency crisis in Turkey and Argentina in August. This triggered an exodus of foreign investors from Egypt who must also be repaid. We look now at your financial indicators. Uh, the dollar, 10.58. Botswana Pula, 12.28. Zambian Guacha. BRICS currencies, the dollar at 3.73. Brazilian Real, 66.29. Russian ruble, 7.421. Indian rupee, 6.992. Chinese yuan. And at 14 rand, 63 cents against the, the South African rand. Also trading at 75 pence to the British pound and 86 cents against the euro. We move now to commodities where gold is at $1,193. Platinum, $817 per fine ounce. Brent crude oil, $81.53 per barrel. That's how it's looking right now. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. 
Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. It is 17.50 Central African time on Channel Africa as we continue to give you news from an African perspective. Remember to tweet us on Channel Africa 1. Here's Musibudi Makura with your sports news. Good evening, sports fans. The organizers are on target to surpass the target of, target of ticket sales for the Bafana Bafana 2019 Africa Cup of Nations qualify against the Seychelles with 13,536 tickets sold by midday today. Now, the match takes place at the FNB Stadium in Johannesburg, and given the low-key nature of the opposition in 189th-ranked Menos the Seychelles, Stadium Management South Africa had only targeted 15,000 ticket sales and for the game at the 94,000 seater venue. However, the rest, uh, rather with the rest of this afternoon and the whole of tomorrow remaining to sell tickets, the now organizers are hoping that the sales will approach the 20,000 mark. Meanwhile, kickoff for Saturday's match is at f- uh, um, 3.30 p.m. Central African time. Bafana Bafana head coach Stuart Baxter says that they will have to play with some intensity on Saturday. Nerves, anxiety, complacency, loads of things like that affect your intensity. If we play with the intensity we're showing now and the quality of the structure, then we will pick our way through. And But it takes time. And, you know, Nigeria took 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 time to pick their way through. And I saw the game, their game against Zambia, the, the Zimbabwe, that they lost six. The first 20 minutes were tight. And, and I saw the, the Libya game, the first 20 minutes were tight. We've got to keep on doing it. While Bafana Bafana's home record in the AFCON qualifiers is not looking good at all in the last eight matches. They've only won one game, with the rest ending in draws and six in goalless stalemates. Against the so-called Menos, they have also struggled to produce results. But Baxter's aware that only six points will do against the Group E's whipping boys. I certainly think that this game, we shouldn't have any other, any other thought in our mind apart from we want, we want six points. We will not underestimate anybody because we cannot, because we've done it too many times in the past, which has caused complacency. We, we want six points. We want, to, we want to make sure that we have those six points. And whoever the team is on the other half of the field, then we're going to play as well as we can and we're going to beat them. Now to tennis news, South Africa's Kevin Anderson has reached the quarterfinals of the Shanghai Masters after defeating Stefano Tsitsipas from Greece in straight sets. Anderson won 6-4-7-6, avenging his defeat to the 20-year-old Greek in the Toronto Masters semifinals back in August this year. Now Anderson will now play Serbian second seed Novak Djokovic for a spot in the last four.
And finally, in boxing news, reigning world boxing organization bantamweight champion Zolani Laspontete is confident that he will retain his title this coming Saturday, that there's going to fight against Russian boxer Milikai Mishka Aryan in the quarterfinals of the World Boxing Super Series at the Expo Center in Ekaterinburg, Russia. Now, Tete is positive about getting a win in Russia, even though he has admitted that the Russian is more of a closed book. The preparations uh, went very well. I've been working hard for eight weeks, uh, preparing for Mikhail Aloyan. He's uh, got four fights, a good amateur rankings, but I believe as the champion, I will be victorious on the night and I will retain my title. There's a lot that I've learned from this last preparation. There's a lot uh, that came through with my trainers and I believe I'm very sharp this time around. I feel sorry for Aloyan because whatever I've been doing in the gym, I'm going to take it out on him. It, it's not easy. It's quite difficult because we don't know much about him, but we've got four fights of him uh, where he's fighting. One of the fights he's fighting as an amateur. So we try to work according to those fights. <laughs> I believe we've got everything that we need to take out Aloyen. Come 13 October, then you will see what's going to happen. So I suppose you at this hour. Stay tuned to Channel Africa for more news from an African perspective. This is Africa Digest. Seventeen fifty-five Central African Time recapping our top stories. Sierra Leone cancelled plans to build a controversial airport outside the capital, Freetown. Today marks International Day of the Girl Child. With that, we'll wrap up Africa Digest for this hour. From myself, Spumelo Lezondi, producer Luanda Maome, technical producer Dumelo Mugwena, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, thank you for listening. Send your emails to info at channelafrica.co.za. WhatsApp messages to plus two seven seven six three hundred double three two seven. Tweets to Channel Africa One. We leave you with Orkant by Major Laser and Babes Wodum.
Ndimanjawiri kundime ina ya zochitika mu Afrika Pachinyanja service ya Channel Africa Lero pa 11 October 2018 Tikumveka pa 31 meter band pa 9625 kilohertz Kumalawi, Mozambiki, Zambia, Zimbabwe, South Africa Ndikumaiko ena onse akumwela kwa Afrika Tikumveka nso pa tsambalatu lapa makina a internet pa w www.channelafrica.co.za ndikane ma wa DSTV pa channel 802 mulindine Daniel Shabanda ndi Ansangawa zonda nsakala ndi Stella Longwe takhana pomwepo zochitika mu Africa ditora ndi kusimba nkhani mopanda manta Mosa kondera, mopanda chibwibwi komanso mosa kuruvika. Ndife makutu ndi maso wa Afrika. Poyamba nai mitu yankani. 
Apolisi adziko la South Africa akusaka saka mwamuna wina amene akumganizira kutindi amene adapa atsikana awiri. Nzika za dziko la Cameroon zikadaembekeza zoturuka za masanko amtsogoleri wa dziko omwezi daponya la mulungu la tali. Dziko la Zambia la kweza nchito yake yoturu mpamvu za magesi Pogwiri 